KLOS and KLOS HD1, Los Angeles. Angeles. Now, the Sheriff of Rockingham. The pickpocket of Piccadilly. King Stephen of Lindblade. Steve Jones presents Jonesy's Jukebox. Listening to Jonesy's Jukebox on KLOS. That was um, the Black Keys. Gotta get away from the album Turn Blue. And before that, we had the Edgar Winter Group, Frankenstein. <laughs> and we're here with my guest, Steve Earl. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm out. I'm not doing this thing. Buy my record. Buy my record. I'm going to a lot of places, at radio That's stations, okay. record stores, and that. Just been still doing that, you know. After all these years of doing this, I guess I guess you you still have to do it, right? Yeah, it, you, it you probably helps. have to do it more. You know, it, it's one of those things that like, there's just you know the way that people hear music is so fragmented and the you know, you know all these little things on the internet. And, you know, like the other day in New York, I did, which is where I live, I did like like three different, you know, three, four, five song internet performances in one day. That's like. That's like work, you know. It's it's one of those. We used to go to radio stations, and you know, in the nineties, I think with triple A radio, that whole, the, the whole idea of artists playing live on the air started coming about again. People started asking you to do that, and that that happens more and more. There's so many, there's so much stuff online, and and uh, and it's just harder for people to find records. And I kind of support the the mom and pop record stores. You know, vinyl's <laughs> kind of a big deal for us. Vinyl's you know for us, we sell a lot of it, and and um. You know, it's the one thing that you can't download vinyl. So yeah. Uh, so I go around to the record stores. It's still I was at Amoeba yesterday afternoon. Did you, did you perform in there? I did. Absolutely did. By, by yourself? Uh, um, th that was the only thing on this run that wasn't by myself because my guitar player and my fiddle player actually live here, so they came down and played. So we had a trio up there yesterday. But all the rest of them, I was at. I was in um, you know Seattle the day before that. Um, Day before that in Portland, at, you know, at Music Millennium, and and uh, those are all solo performances. But that's how I started out. So I can, I do solo tours. I just did twenty one shows solo. Yeah. you can do it. It's, it's a good skill set to have. Yeah, you know, to just be able to go out there by yourself and do it. Well, you have a, does the does the record company pay for you to go all these places? Yeah, for this in this particular case, so far I have not had to pay for my own record yet. So it's one of the <laughs> I'm hoping to die before that happens. That's yeah. that's my plan at this point. The, the label is um, it's New West. New West is yeah. that is that from Texas? No, no, they're here. They're, they were here in L.A. originally. They're they're in they're actually in Nashville, Tennessee now. Um, a friend of mine, Cameron Strang, kind of founded the label. Um, with um, you know, uh, with the Fontaines that with their money behind it, and and it's kind of he left several years ago, went to Warner. I followed him to Warner, then they fired him and they dropped me the next day. So I'm back on New West. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, it's a it's a label that specializes in this kind of stuff that that I do. They've got you know, on there you know John Hyatt. They put records on John Hyatt. My son Justin Towns Earl is is also a New West. He's got a record coming in May, and uh, it's um you know. By and large, reach music of one sort or another. Yeah. Yeah. And you live in Manhattan? Yeah. For the last 14 years, I just kind of, I was in Tennessee for 33 years and it was just time to go. I don't know why. I live on Bleecker Street between McDougal and Sullivan. I live kind of where my job was invented. Do you remember where Ble Bleecker Records, Bleecker Bobs? Oh, Bleecker Bobs. Oh, yeah. 
he, did he pass away? Yeah, the, the records. I, th- I I think so. The record store is long gone. There's a, there's only a couple of record shops down there anymore. You know, used record shops like that. Um, Bleecker Street's gone. Um, God, what is left now? There's hard, hardly anything left in the way of record shops. Yeah. Are. I don't think they have an amoeba in New in Manhattan. No, no, no. Amoeba are, are pretty. They're hard to beat. The one in the Hate in San Francisco is great. I've done a lot of in stores there, and and plus they give me cool stuff when I play there. You know, you can you can get at least a certificate to go grab some you know grab some vinyl. But they've given me stuff like I have a Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band lamp that sits next to my bed that I got from Amoeba when I did it in store there. And I have what else? Uh, oh, an R Crumb a sign. Oh. R. Crumb print, the Louis Armstrong print that I got years ago for playing. For I got playing some of his. Sir. I got some of his figurines. Oh, oh really? Wow. I love wow. it. I love his stuff. Uh, it's, it's amazing stuff. We yeah. have the same taste in women as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Big calves, fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, you. I, I just like girls. <laughs> oh man. But at any rate, it's just doing you know this thing. Um, you know, making records and, and uh, you know, doing a, I stumbled into a sort of an acting career because that was David Simon's idea, so I do that when I can. And What, and what have you done? Sorry. If I, I was in The Wire and I was in Treme, but, you know, both of those TV shows of David Simon's because he's a big music fan. And then I've done some features that nobody saw since. It's sort of, yeah. I, I never did it because I, I turned down a lot of acting roles when I was a lot younger and a lot better looking, but I just... I hated it when actors made records, you know, so I just sort of stayed away from it for a it's long time. It's a different time. world now, though. It's totally different. You know, you just got to, I've got a radio show on, you know, on satellite radio that, you know, kind of a specialty show, an hour kind of music history. What, what channel show. is it? A country it's, channel? It, it's on, it's on Outlaw Country. Outlaw is, Country, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of the, the alt country channel on, on yeah. Sirius Satellite Radio. Because that was your, that was your kind of thing back in the 90s, right? You was, you didn't, you, you wasn't. Was you not accepted by Nashville because you didn't wear a cowboy hat and all the rest well, of it? Well, my, my first record came out and, and the major label record. Came out. I had a rockabilly band in the early 80s. Everybody did. And um, and that kind of got me my first record deal. But then I'd been around Nashville for a long time. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd come there as a songwriter, had good teachers. I knew Towns Van Zant before I got there. And I met Guy Clark when I got there. Uh, but it took me a while to get a record deal. And I made a record called Guitar Town, which was a number one country album. But... You know, immediately, you know, the the head of the label said, okay, well, we're going to send you some songs because you're going to be on the road and you're not going to have to write any songs. And I said, I've already written a second yeah. record. And, you know, they just didn't have the control over it that they wanted to. And yeah. that's the way Nashville, you know, was. It was just, it was an anti-singer-songwriter town for a long time. Really? Yeah, absolutely. didn't realize that. Even Hank Williams, I think, you know, like kind of... He wrote all his stuff, right? For the most part, you know. Oh, Love Sick Blues wasn't it. his. That was an old, that was an old standard that he picked up and made his own. But, but he was he was a great songwriter. Yeah, and and the movie Nashville. Do you think that's a, 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 a accurate? <laughs> it is in some ways. It's funny. I have a weird connection to that movie. I, I hitchhiked to town in '74, and I you know kind of knew my mother was born there, so I'd come there a couple of times as a kid. So I knew I just stayed in this all night restaurant downtown till it got light. And then I walked out to Centennial Park and it turned out they were filming that last scene where the shooting takes place and, you know, that in front of that replica of the Parthenon. And they, they were advertising in the paper that they had dime hot dogs and nickel cokes and they're trying to get a crowd down there. Yeah. And, and I had six bucks left. So I thought, well, that's where I'm going tomorrow. Yeah. So I went down there and I bought as many hot dogs and cokes as I could and until I ran out of money. And then, uh, so I'm somewhere in that crowd. 
crowd scene in there yeah. somewhere. You can't you can't really see me, but Your I was first I, action I was I was definitely there, no no doubt about it. And then ran out of money. I asked somebody where I could uh, where I could go. You know, like sit in like play and pass the hat or something. They pointed me to a place called Bishop's Pub. I walked in, a guy named Richard Dobson, who I knew from Texas, was behind the bar. And that's where I met Guy Clark, was in Bishop's Pub a few weeks later. And this is this is the man, you, this album is... Guy, uh, Guy Clark, yeah. 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 Guy, Guy was uh, kind of the maybe the greatest story songwriter that ever lived. He, he, um, he got songs recorded by other people, but he was writing for himself. And there was a sort of moment when I got there where there was this sort of salon, this group of songwriters who were all post-Bob Dylan songwriters that had come out of coffee houses by and large, but came from, you know, the Southwest and the South and had background in country music too. And, and we were just there taking money on false pretenses from publishing companies. And, and some of us got songs recorded, some of us didn't. I had a few, but no no big hits. And, and um, we, um, what we, what we all wanted was record deals and, and yeah. to make records of our own. And, yeah. and, um, guy, you know, one of the first things he told me was songs aren't finished until you play them for people. So yeah. that was, that's why we, we were writing them to sing them ourselves when they got right yeah. down to it. I've been, I've been there a couple of times, uh, Nashville. Yeah. Stayed at, uh, Roy Orbison's house. Really? You ever go there? No, I, I, you know, I, I, after Roy passed away, you know, Barbara was around Nashville a lot, and I met her then. That was around the time I kind of hit that rough spot, and when I got out of jail and kind of started over again, Barbara was around a whole bunch, and and uh, she came up to me one time and she said, "I have the greatest idea. You should sing in dreams." And I said, "Barbara." in dreams I could ever sing that song. <laughs> You're so I, dreaming. I, can't, I can't imagine of anything more frightening than trying to try to tackle that song. But it's hard, of, it's hard to get any to reach his nose, man. Oh man. I don't know how he did it. I just don't it's one one of the greatest singers that ever lived. You know, that room where all that stuff was recorded, um, you know, um I walked in and out of there a lot of times and uh those studios, you know, a lot a lot of them are gone now. The recording studios are disappearing one by one. You know, you can make a record on your phone on your phone now so yeah. you know but and i like recording studios i like i like real recording studios with a with a recording studio vibe rather than a spa or you know or, or recording in your house i kind of i kind of like the real studios have you, yeah i do too yeah. have you, uh the idea and then someone's bedroom just don't give me the yeah. go it, give it, me vibe stuff stuff do you have you ever been in the muscle shows i'm sure you have i've been there just i never recorded there but i, I went you know and and um you know, i know a lot of people that that kind of came up there and you know like patterson hood and those guys you know the drive-by truckers they all kind of grew up there and and uh, my my son justin came up with those guys and uh you know i i uh there's no place to play in that part of alabama so you know i haven't been there that much but i know a lot of players that came out of that because eventually they would move to nashville because that's where the majority of the work was yeah. so i've met nearly every one of the guys that played on those records yeah do you think that, um, like these studios, Electric Ladyland, Muscle Shoals, uh, Stacks, people, when people go in and they say, oh man, I can feel the vibes, or they just saying that because they know that it's, or do you really think there are like spirits in there? I, I made a blues record called Terraplane about, you know, I mean, I come from Texas and so I, I kind of come up on it and it was just time for me. I felt like I needed to do it. And that's kind of the way I make records. I need kind of a theme to hang on to, you know, yeah. why I'm making an album. and and. We went in and we played this song. Um, 
uh, called King of the Blues that was on the record. It was a, it was for a radio station. It was for WFUV and is invited guests and everybody in. We did the event in Electric Lady and the band set up in one end of the main room and and it was you know maybe it was they, we had them jammed. It's thirty five or forty people, which is a lot of people. It's not that big a studio, and I did. Um, I'd made the record there already and and loved the studio. It's a few blocks from my apartment. But we played this song, King of the Blues, and it's a, it, the, the changes are based on Hey Joe. And at the end of it, I just kicked off Hey Joe, and I don't know what possessed me literally to do it, but I did. And we smoked it, and it stayed in our set for the last several years ever since we did that. It, it, that felt fairly haunted in a really good sort of way, even though he never made a record there. He barely, they barely, they made a, they, they, they they made a few demos and stuff that that the studio was just you know they, they were just getting it together when he left for England and he passed away and and Electric Ladyland was made you know at the record plant and you know not at Electric Lady Studios he never actually recorded a record there. Yeah. he it was a club that he hung out in and then of course he starts making money and his first idea was I'm gonna buy the club where I hang out yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. which is you know that does that's not a good business plan but he didn't you know he was 24 he wasn't known for his business di plans. didn't realize that at the time and his manager said hey tell you what if we're going to own this building let's do something constructive with it put a recording studio and then he said okay and yeah. him and eddie kramer started putting the studio yeah. together we're here with steve l and uh we're, we're gonna play out in the parking lot now are you gonna play off the record yeah. Cool. Oh man, this is yeah. There you go. <clears throat> You're more prepared than I am. Well, this is. Um, I'm not really prepared. It's it's one of it's one of guys' later songs that he wrote, and um, and it was uh, we needed one rocker, and this was the one. Steve L. Jonesy's jukebox, Carlos. You're listening to Jonesy's jukebox on Carlos. That was Jimi Hendrix. Have you ever been to Electric Ladyland? Yeah, I have actually. <laughs> but, uh, we're here with Steve Earle, and uh, the track before that was from the album Guy. Out in the parking lot was the track. So they're all covers. Yeah, it's all songs written by Guy Clark, who, who um, he was, um, I don't know, one of the best songwriters I ever saw. And he was also a good teacher. I, I mean, I learned a lot from Towns Van Zandt, but Towns was more like give you a book and tell you to go read it and tell you to put the cap back on the bottle or somebody would come over along and kick it over, which was useful information in my life at the time. But but Guy showed me how he laid a song out on the page and, and you know, saw me writing with a pen one day. He said, what are you writing with a pen for? Write with a pencil, with a big eraser. You know, right, and it's right. the idea that writing is when you're serious about lyrics is it's as much about editing as it is anything else. You know, if you yeah. keep just keep writing and keep rewriting and until you think you've got it the best that you can do it. And, um, he worked really hard at his stuff, you know, so he left a pretty big body of work. And, and um, you know, he has a, he lived here in L.A. for a minute. He he um, he was from Texas, came out. Uh, he made guitars. He built really, really beautiful guitars. And he and a guy named Minor Wilson moved to San Francisco, opened a guitar shop, and they um, that failed. Minor went back to Texas. Guy came down here and went to work at the Dobro factory down in Orange County, you know, fitting necks on Dobros. And, and um he just uh, did that for a while and started taking playing in this string band around town. He and Tom Waits knew each other from back then, and mm. um, he uh, he like uh, eventually got a publishing deal with Sunbury Dunbar, which was RCA's publishing company. And they asked him where he wanted to live, and he was never all that happy in L.A. anyway. So yeah. so he moved, uh, which which is actually a song cue 
you know, we can get the Scott Clark song done because that's what it's about. And it's one of his, the songs that, that some people know because Jerry Jeff Walker recorded it. And it's uh, the idea of, uh, I think he, it, might, it probably was uh, the first song he wrote in Nashville after he, after he landed there. Uh, after he got the deal, he had, they asked where he wanted to live, and he said, not here. And he went to Tennessee. Some 
bitches always bored me He's a great songwriter. Yeah. There's a lot of verses there. That's was. Is it how many? Is like it's three or four. It's not um you know, he there were story songs. They had a beginning and the middle and the end. It's yeah. not not a long song. Yeah. You know, he learned how to do it. Um, you know, first we both he wrote a lot. It's one reason I gravitated towards him. I I tended to write these long story songs and Guy and I were drunk for a week after the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald went to number one, that Gordon Lightfoot song, because it was this long ballad about a shipwreck on the radio. We thought there's some hope. But we we both learned to, you know, tell stories and do it in less time, you know, yeah. which meant made it you know, it's always better for making records. I mean, you know, the less the less of people's time you waste trying to get your point across, probably the better. Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. But uh I don't know. That was great. Thanks. The voice sounds good. Yeah, it's weird. I think I probably sing better than I did when I was younger. I, emphysema probably part of it, but you know, it's one of those things. I kind of my voice has changed a lot, but I'm, I'm I'm okay with the way I sing now. I have trouble listening to the records from the '80s. That's the only thing that bothers me about them. The, the tracks don't, don't bother me. Doesn't bother me that the drums are too loud. It was the '80s, but you know, yeah. I, I my voice bugs me listening to it then, and I'm I'm okay with listening to my That's voice. That's funny. Now. I did an album in the '80s, and my my voice I don't like my voice at all. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like any of it. Uh, hearing those records back up until the mid '90s or so, when I kind of came back and started making records after the, my little vacation in the ghetto, I, I, um, I, 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 I learned to sing softer. You know, I kind of found I listened to a lot of Chet Baker records and figured out that you didn't have to be on, you know, ten all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it gave you another place to go yeah, to sing yeah. softer and. Just try some other stuff. And I got to be a lot better guitar player, too, I think, when it came right down to it. Do you still smoke? No, I quit, finally. It took it was the hardest thing to quit. I I stopped doing heroin and cocaine like 10 years before I managed to quit smoking. And it was like it, it was the hardest thing to put down of everything. Yeah, I quit uh, yeah. uh, 18, 18 years ago. You were ahead of me. It was, it was, I think it was right 13 years ago for me. It took oh, me, it took me a long time. And then you know I'm up in clean for 28 years. Yeah, I I I've got uh, you, you got that on me too. 24. Well, I'll tell you what September you did. 13th. September 13th. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it was Friday the 13th. That was the day I woke up in jail and went, uh, uh oh, <laughs> there's there, I'm probably not going to be able to get anything here, am I? <laughs> it's yeah. one of those. Things. So that was the moment of truth. Yeah. I did I did smacks for 10 yeah. years. I did it for longer than that, off and on for for more like twenty. But yeah. you know, but it, the real non-stop thing was about seven or eight years. It was I lived in Nashville where there was no decent yeah. heroin, and then you know I, as soon as I started making money and traveling to other places, then that where there was, I was in trouble almost immediately. I moved to L.A. largely because it was just a lot more. Um, be better, better dope, and it was it was more anonymous to get it. You know, you yeah. could just drive down to Hoover and Alvarado. <laughs> That's all you had to do. It's yeah, one of those yeah. deals. Yeah, the days. old balloons. Yeah, yep. I feel bad for the uh, these kids today with all this oxycotton and fentanyl and all that. Fentanyl's a That's killing. An evil. Fentanyl's killing a lot of people. It used to be that you know 
I, you know, the secret society that I, I've been in all these years, we used to see people go out and can come back after they relapsed. And, you know, sometimes they didn't come back. Right. Now they're, they're very few are coming yeah. back. If they go back out, really good chance that you end up dead. There's a hot shot waiting out there yeah. for you. So I, I tell people, man, it's just, it's, uh, it scares me. It scares me bad enough that, you know, when I hit a rough spot to not even think about it, I, I know what would happen to me. The trouble is with a lot of young people, they, they, they're, not, they're not slippery enough. They're not like real street junkies. So when they relapse, they don't do a little bit first to see if I'm going to be cool. Right, they just right. wallop and then they're dead, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Well, yeah, I was, I was one of those big shot guys. I, people used to fight over my cottons. You know, it was one of those things. So I know what would happen. I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever... Uh, did you ever... Uh, I was worried because I was living in New York... Uh, in 82 right but i never shared a needle i never did either and but i know for sure that it was only because it never came up yeah you know and and i thank god for that and, and i i came out of it with hep c but without hiv and uh, and i i was lucky i before they, it's pretty easy to treat hep c and get rid of it now i did the thing yeah i did too and and it worked for me yeah it, it, it worked for me so you know uh that more more you know more um things but, that you know just Knock on wood, you know. <laughs> so one of those deals, I don't know how, how I dodged that bullet. But, you know, we were the highest risk group when it came to that epidemic. And, yeah. and not need doubt about it. And I lost a lot of friends. Yeah. I lost a lot of friends. Yeah. Um, should we play some music? What are we doing? We're going to play some Tom Petty. Cool. Uh, we're here with Steve Earle. You're listening to Jonesy's Jukebox. Uh, do you think we bummed anyone out talking about dope? And I hope not, but but I hope we scared a couple of people. I hope we didn't bum the people that we didn't mean to out, and I hope we scared a couple of people that we needed to. There's a guy I knew, uh, I knew not only from afar. OD'd yesterday on 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 that stuff. It's out there, and yeah. that's what it does. Yeah, and these companies, they don't really care. No, nope. what's that big family? The big family. They just got sued for the first time. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And it's a bummer because there's probably people out there genuinely in need of pain medication. Of course, that are not going to get it. You know, as the, as they're politically trying to adjust to this because it got it was money that dictates the whole thing and money that drives it always. And and you know, as far as making drugs illegal doesn't work, hasn't worked, failed miserably. You know, as far, you know, cocaine as far as we know grows on the western slope of the Andes, and it would stay right there if it wasn't worth a lot of money. Money in the United States. Yeah. It's one of those deals. That's non-addictive, isn't it? Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play some Tom Petty. <laughs> You're listening to Jonesy's Jukebox on OS. That was Johnny Funders. You can't put your arms around a memory. And before that was Tom Petty, the waiting. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Not Johnny Funders and the Heartbreakers. That's two things going on there. Two totally different things. We're here with Steve Earl. How are you? I'm good. I'm really did you good. did you ever see? Um, let me get it. For you. And that's all right. So. Ah! <laughs> did you ever um, see Johnny Funders? I did. I saw him. I saw him twice. I saw him solo the last time. I saw him at the the New Marquee in London, and then I actually saw the New York Dolls at Liberty Hall in Houston, Texas. In, in wow, in Texas. What was that like? It was, you know, um, Texas has, has pretty, a lot of music goes on there, a lot of music came there. Liberty Hall was a cool place. Springsteen played there very early on. Um, you know, I saw, um, I saw a lot of stuff. I saw a lot of stuff like what I do. 
you know, saw Jerry Jeff Walker and I saw Towns Van Zandt, and, um, but I also saw Little Feet and uh, Springsteen, you know, at, at Liberty Hall. Um, and and I, I did, I was, I saw the Sex Pistols at Randy's Rodeo in San Antonio, Texas. Really? Yeah. It, it's really weird because, you know, I basically... Because, you know, I wanted an electric guitar when I was growing up, but my dad wouldn't let me have one because there was five kids. And, and so I only had an acoustic guitar, so I started gravitating towards music. I could make my guitar sound like that. And then I met guys like Townsend Guy. So I'd been off into pretty much singer-songwriter stuff for several years, and a couple of things started making me want. Springsteen made me think about an electric guitar. The first Elvis Costello record, you know, made me want an electric guitar because yeah. those are such great songs. Yeah. And I thought, this is a great song. But I was, I, I'd been in, in Nashville already, had a publishing deal. The company sold. They didn't have a Nashville office for a long time. And I was getting $150 a week songwriter draw, and that went further in Mexico. So I moved to San Miguel Allende and, and commuted to Nashville every few months. Long commute, but it made sense in my life at the time. But you didn't wire money into Mexico in those days. So I would come to San Antonio, where I grew up, across the border, and you know get my money and cash check and see friends and stuff and i was sitting around actually and gone up to austin and some friends of mine were saying the sex pistols you know are playing at randy's rodeo in san antonio and i went randy's rodeo is two blocks from where i lived when i was going in high school and uh, my biology teacher had a local country band george chambers and the country gentlemen they were the house band there they played there on friday and saturday nights most weekends and i said well you know I, i'd heard of the sex pistols i didn't know anything about the band had never heard a sex pistols record and i said well I know where that is. They're trying to figure out how to get there. So I got in the car with them. I was the guide, showed them where Randy's Rodeo was. I got a ticket. Turned out a friend of mine, Joe Puglise, was in one of the, the two bands that opened the bill. Once I got there, I can't remember the name of that band now. But that was uh, a lot of legends about that show. It was a, it was a pretty good show, actually. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I was curious what you think. You can, uh, it was, it was, it was. You can well, be honest, Stevie. No, baby. no, no. It was one of those things that that I I knew about the Ramones, and I knew that it wasn't what I was doing because I was really concentrating mostly on songs at that point. But I thought it was really, really interesting, and I and I did like the idea of that maybe rock and roll was starting to take itself a little bit too seriously, and because I I found myself by that time I was listening to you know, early Beatles records rather than later ones. And, and, and the Rolling Stones records that I love are the ones when they were competing with the Beatles in a songwriting contest and they knew it. Yeah. You know, those are, those are still my, my favorite Stones records. So, um, but it was, it was, uh, there's a, that's the show that everybody said later, you know, oh, you were at that show. That's the one where Sid hit somebody with his bass. It's not exactly what happened. It, yeah. got, it got pretty pushy and it got up front. There were, there were some cowboys there. There were some guys that were there, you know, just to not, you know, not dig it. But most of the crowd was very, very into it. And it, it seemed like a pretty good show to me. Well, there was one show where Sid clubbed someone. I don't know if it was at Randy's. He, or... he, it, I think the guy got it in the head with the bass, but I don't think he took it off and swung it like a clubber. It was a precision bass. It would have killed the guy. There's oh. not, not any doubt about that. But Well, there's, there's, there's footage of it. Yeah, oh yeah, no, no, he's got it, and and the guy the, the guy does get it in the head. He gets it off. And he's standing there hollering at him, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't quite as as graphic as it's made out to be. I have that bass, by the way. You, you wow, yeah. that's incredible. You know, I, this is my thing about bass is uh, Jason and the National Scorchers. 
the first record that they made. That I, 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 me and, and I remember them guys. They were great. They were cool, and they just uh, around. We we started to put out our own independent records at the same time when I gave up on getting a record deal in the early '80s, and the bass that was used on those records it belonged. Um, uh, it was actually belonged to Jack Emerson, who I later had a record label with, and I own that bass now. I had that it was on, you know, those first two or three Scorchers records, yeah. and it's on the cover. It's on the cover of that first record. I still actually have the blood on Sid's bass. <laughs> wow. Uh oh. So, so you got the proof. I, I yeah. You still have the, You still have that white Les Paul custom that you played in the Sex Pistols. I don't have the original. No. Yeah. yeah. I tell people I do, but I don't. Yeah. That went a lot. Everything went the same place. All my guitars went. Everything. Me too. Yeah. Same if thing. If you was me. a junkie, I yeah. couldn't. I don't have on one that. single guitar. Yeah. I own one guitar from before my bottom, and that was because a friend of mine went and got it out of a pawn shop and kept it and gave it back to me after I got clean. Yeah. That's the only one that I still yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. So. I got I got Sid's bass late later on in life from his mother. I'll be damn. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I'll sell it to you. <laughs> I, I might buy it. <laughs> Actually, I, I'll give you my telephone number. I, you know what I played the other day? I, I was in Houston, Texas, and I'd heard it was there from a friend of mine that said, you know, another guitar nerd like I am. We send guitar porn back and forth to each other. And Lightning Hopkins Gibson J50. It's in. It's on the wall in the shop in Houston, Texas. The guy that, that owns the shop's had it for years, and he finally decided to get it out where people could see it and play it. And I sat for an hour and a half and played Lightning Hopkins Gibson J50 wow. the other day. Because I saw Lightning play that guitar. I got to Houston in time to see Lightning Hopkins and Mance Lipscomb both in the same room at the same time on more than one occasion. It was yeah. pretty, pretty good place to be. You're going to do an oldie but goodie? Yeah, this is like... Um, Kind of cool. This song, you know, it was me trying to make a rock record on purpose, but I still talk like this. Got the moonshine thing. I went over to, yeah, went over to Memphis. There's actually, uh, um, there's a line dance to this song. That happened during, oh, yeah? when I was gone. Yeah, and it's become a permanent part of culture in Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and places like that. And so somebody said, isn't that weird? Didn't that make you feel weird that your song? I said, no, that's a big deal. It's like I wrote Cotton Eye Joe, you know? They, 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 they do it. They do a line da dance to an Anarchy in the UK, too. They do? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'd actually like to see that. I actually, that's the other thing. I did uh, hire a, 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 a cook that worked for every tour that I did in the UK for a long time that worked for Eat to the Beat. That uh, His name was Tomo, and he was legendary. For one thing, he was blasted, never mind the bollocks, when I walked into his kitchen the first yeah. time. And he, 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 like, uh, he was pretty, he kind of... Uh, Went out on a, um, on a, he'd been out on a, fired from an Oasis tour because he just, at the third day in, he decked Noel Gallagher. So I just, I hired him every time I went after that. It was just one of those deals. <laughs> For Tomo, wherever he is. Since the copper line 
Everybody knew he made moonshine Now the revenue man wanted granddaddy bed Head up a hollow never thing had For my time and I've been told Never come back from Copperhead Road Better on the whiskey and the bib lot dodge. <clears throat> Bought an auction at the Mason's Lodge. Chasing and a sheriff painted on the side. Shot a cool to primer and a look inside. Him and my uncle tore that engine down. I still remember that rumbling sound And then the share come around in the middle of the night Heard mama crying to someone right Heading out an house with a weak love Smell of whiskey burning on Copperhead Road Jonesy's Jukebox, Kayla West, that was Steve L doing a live version of Copperhead Road. Um, we're going to visit the Duke. When we come back, we'll see what happens. See you in a minute. You're listening to Jonesy's Jukebox on Kayla West. That was Queen. Now I'm here. Then we had the New York Dolls from their first album, Bad Girl, and The Clash. Brand new Cadillac. Bruce Springsteen. Cadillac Ranch. Beautiful. Uh, Elvis Costello. Pump it up, baby. The Sex Pistols. Anarchy. Uh, in the UK. And the Rolling Stones. Mother's Little Helper. 
I missed the shovel has some messages. Yeah, Elvis Costello and Blondie have announced a co-headlining tour. There's a couple shows in our area, August 4th at Five Point Amphitheater and August 5th at the Greek Theater. And they go on sale Saturday, but there's a special KLOS pre-sale happening Friday at 10 a.m. And the password for that is Vibes. But we're going to give away a pair right now for the show at the Greek Theater on August 5th through caller 10 at 800-955-KLOS. And those tickets are provided by Live Nation. A ramalama ding dong. We're going to visit a Duke when we come back. We'll have a little bit more rock and roll for you out there. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, you will. You're listening to Jonesy's Jukebox? <laughs> yeah, you will. On KLOS, how are you? 95.5. It's come to an end. We're knocking it on the head. That was fast way. Say what you will. Then we had Jonathan Wills, Wilson, Trafalgar Square from his album Rare Birds. David Bowie, John, I'm Only Dancing. Dandy Warhols, Bohemian Like You. They're playing at the uh, Ace Hotel, May 16th. We started off with Motley Upal, all the way from Memphis. Gary Moore's up next. And uh, have a good rest of your day. And I will see you manana. See ya.